What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. Got a lot to cover today. Going to start off with the Ja Moran injury as he's been ruled out for the season and what that means for Memphis. Then going to talk a lot of Clippers. They are on a hot streak right now. I'll give you my opinion on if that is sustainable and what the rest of the season could look like for them come playoff time. Then we're going to talk about three teams that have been struggling mightily, to say the least. That is the Phoenix Suns, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Golden State Warriors. Going to talk through some of their issues, and we'll discuss if those issues are correctable or not, and if any of those teams can salvage their season or if they're really just cooked from this point on. So uh, with that said, let's get right into it. So going to start off with the John Morant news. So we know he was suspended for the first 25 games of the year for his incidents related to guns and uh, showing them on social media that Memphis was really, really not good in those games without him. They were only 6-19 and 19 in the 25-game suspension that he had. Uh, but they'd play, they've played pretty well since he came back. I mean, in only nine games that he played, he averaged 25 points a game, eight assists, almost six rebounds. I mean, he looked like his old normal self. And when Jaw's right, he's a legit top 15 uh, player in this league, without a doubt. And they were 6-3 and three in the nine games he played, and they've even played a little better in the games without him. I mean, just their last three games, they won in L.A. over the Lakers. Jaw did play in that game, but then the last two games in Phoenix on Sunday night, uh, they were able to get a win. And then on Tuesday this week, they also won in Dallas without John Morant and without Jaron Jackson Jr. in that game either. So um, they've been playing better with or without job. But he just had uh, surgery on his shoulder. So he's going to be out the remainder of this season, will not play again. Um, so it's going to be a short year for him, only nine games played on the year. And I know this is pretty devastating for Grizzlies fans given – what they've had to go through this year, obviously the rough start with him being suspended. But my take on this is that this is a blessing in disguise for them. They were in such a hole already to start this year that they just realistically were not going to be able to contend. I mean, right now they sit at 14 and 23 as the 13 seed in the West. Um, and they're, I mean, a full four and a half games out of the 10 seed, a full five games out of the eight seed. And if they wanted to avoid the play in, they are eight games out of the six seed. So that's just a really big hole. I mean, we're almost at the halfway point of the season just to be able to get to 500. They would have had to gone 27 and 18 for the rest of the way, which is 49 win pace. Certainly something they're capable. Of. They have won over 50 games the past couple years. So not saying that that's out of the realm of possibility, but, they're going to have to pass a lot of teams just to get to the 10 seed. They were going to have to pass three teams to pa- get to the eight seed. They would have to pass five teams to get to the six seed. They would have to pass seven teams. So like they were going to be at best a play in team and just to get into the play plan, they were going to have to pass either the Warriors, Suns, or Lakers, which would have meant one of those teams missed the play in entirely. And I know we're going to talk about that later and those teams that are struggling but I don't think any of us think they're struggling so bad that they're not even going to make the play-in, for example. Um, and so I just think Memphis was in too big of a hole. And let's say they do make the play-in and they get into the play-in playoffs and they are maybe the eight seed. 
or the seventh seed or whatever it may be, what's their reward? They get to play Denver in the first round. They get to play the T-Wolves with their number one rated defense in the first round. They get to play the Clippers in the first round. Like, they were going to have a, a huge uphill battle just to even win one playoff series this season. Um, I mean, they were the two seed last year, and they didn't even get out of the first round. And, look, this is their fourth season being a play, playoff contender. They've made the playoffs the last three years. They're past the point of, like, oh, cute team, get in the playoff playoffs. And, like, if the Thunder make the playoffs this year and lose first round, no one's going to care. They're young. It's their first time. Not a big deal. If Memphis does, that's going to be four straight years in which they have one playoff series total that they've won in that span. Like, that's not – they'd slowly be turning into the the Utah Jazz-type team that can't translate in the playoffs. And I know they've had their injuries over the years, and especially this year they've had a lot of guys out. But I just don't see a scenario in which they were going to be legitimate contenders. And so with that said – you might as well just tank this year. There's no like advantage to like having to make the playoffs or something like that because this isn't a team that's like all in. Like if the Suns miss the playoffs, it's a disaster. If the Lakers miss the playoffs, it's a disaster. They've got guys on the tail end of their prime. They've c- committed a ton of assets to try to go all in now. But Memphis is still super young. I know they've been in the playoffs for three straight years, like I said, but Jaws only 24 years old. He's got three years left on his contract. Jaron Jackson Jr. is only 24 years old as well. He's still got two years left on his contract. Bain is only 25. He's got five years left on his contract. His extension hasn't even kicked in yet. Marcus Smart, while he's a little older, 29, he's still got two years left on his deal. And then Steven Adams, who is somehow still only 30 years old, feels like he's been in the league forever. He still has one year on his deal next year too. Luke Kennard has a team option. So if they want to keep him and uh, have him on the team next year, they also can, or they could trade him and get assets. But Regardless, their theoretical starting five that they were hoping to have this year before Adams got hurt and when Jock came back to be um, actually playing, their whole team is going to be back next year. And they've got everyone minus Adams back for at least two years. And their core, like big three players, if you will, of Ja, Jackson, and Bain, they're all 25 or younger. So there's no need to rush into this season. They were not winning the championship this year. They were at best going to sneak into the play-in and maybe in a maybe the matchup strikes their way and they do end up winning one playoff series. But that was probably where they were maxing out, and that doesn't get them much. That's not really what they're set out to do. They're trying to build for a championship right now. And so why not tank this season? They're the 13 seed, like I said, right now. Um, I mean, they're, they'd be the number six pick in the draft if it was today. And who knows, maybe they'll move up in the lottery, maybe they'll move back, whatever it may be. Even if they end up just in number six, that is a extremely valuable asset for them to have. They can either use that pick and add to their young core, or it gives them a ton of ammo to upgrade somewhere. They've got movable pieces. Like I said, Kennard could be moved. Marcus Smart, given that he's going to be 30 next year um, and will only have two years left on his deal. He's a guy that they might use to try to upgrade if you attach him to that pick, for example. So it gives them a ton of flexibility to either stay young and continue to develop guys, which is kind of what they've done over the past um, four or five years, or they can decide to kind of go all in. I mean, they're, they've already got all their picks other than the um, two they gave up for smart. And then the one they have this year, 
could potentially be top five. So this puts them in a really nice position to kind of load up for next year, if you will. Ja will be back fully healthy. Jaron Jackson Jr. and Bain will get a ton of valuable reps as guys that just have the ball in their hands more without Jaw there, um, so that when Jaw comes back, they're going to be way more equipped to handle that workload if Jaw were to miss time, or when Jaw's back to just be more of a threat at getting the ball um, and let Jaw uh, be a little bit less ball dominant. So I see this as a blessing in disguise, silver lining, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I was already kind of the belief that Memphis should pretty much tank this season, even if Jaw was playing. But this just makes it that much easier. You don't have to try to hide it or um, like sick guys down the stretch. It's just because we've seen they have not been a good team without Morant this year. They were six and nineteen in twenty five games um, before he came back from his suspension. So I don't think it's going to be difficult for them to continue to play at a low pace like that, especially when you consider there's. 11, maybe 12, if you want to count the Jazz, like legitimate teams in the West that are at least trying to make the play-in. And probably all of them would be happy in the playoffs as well, even the Jazz and the Rockets who have surprised a little bit this year. So there's going to be plenty of losses to be had, especially down the stretch when people are pushing for the playoffs and play-in, and the Grizzlies can quietly rest their guys to try to um, contend for the uh, lottery positioning. So... But moving over to the hottest team in basketball right now, the Los Angeles Clippers. They have gone 15-3 and since December 1st, which is when Russell Westbrook volunteered to uh, come off the bench. And in that span, they are 13-1 and in which Kawhi Leonard plays since he has missed four games in that span. They went 2-2 two and two in those games. Um, but their only loss was a three-point loss to the Lakers this week. So there was a long stretch there where... If Kawhi Leonard played, the Clippers were going to win that game. And their stars have just played, I mean, some of the best basketball of their career, even though they are getting up there in age. Kawhi Leonard has a career-high field goal percentage this season, a career-high three-point percentage this season. Paul George has a career-high field goal percentage this season and is within a hundredth of a point in his career three-point percentage, so almost career-high from three from him. And James Harden has tied the best field goal percentage of his career since leaving Oklahoma City, so since he's been a high-volume guy, and is also shooting a career-best from three-point land. And then even Norman Powell is shooting a career-high from both the field and three-point percentage. And when those four guys are on the court, they've got a 43% three-point shooter in Kawhi, a 41% in Paul George, 43% in James Harden, and 46% in Norman Powell. So this team shoots the absolute lights out of the ball, and all of their stars have played really, really well together. Harden has fit in seamlessly since Russ went to the bench, and Leonard and George have really, really benefited uh, from having a point guard. And probably the best season we've seen from Kawhi, if you include the playoffs, obviously, was 2019 when he won the championship with the Raptors. And what was the one thing that he had that year that he hasn't really had through most of the other years of his prime was a true point guard. Kyle Lowry was really, really good for his game, taking the ball out of his hands a little bit more, getting him the ball in his spots instead of having to do that himself. And since he's come to LA, they have just not had that. I mean, they've shuffled in and out different point guards. They had Pat Bev, they had Lou Will, they had Reggie Jackson, they had John Wall. 
all extremely, extremely flawed players for one reason or another. And none of them are true point guards at all. Maybe John Wall in his prime, but um, he was <laughs> quite washed by the time he got to the Clippers. But Harden has just been phenomenal for them. Um, not only is he just, I mean, he just does not shoot this efficiently throughout most of his prime. And a lot of that is because he can pick his spots a lot more because he's just got so many other guys that uh, are ahead of him in the pecking order. But with Leonard and George, I mean, James Harden's taking six less shots per game than Leonard and George. Uh, so he's clearly the third banana. He he seems very okay with that at this point. And probably the most shocking part of anything for this team is that they have been super healthy. The Clippers have played 36 games so far this season. Kawhi's only missed four games. Paul George has only missed two games. And James Harden, since the trade, has not missed a single game. Um, Zubats has played every single game as well. Uh, Norman Powell has not missed a game. Russell Westbrook has not missed a game. Uh, Terrence Mann missed six games earlier in the year. But overall, this team has been super, super healthy. And they are just, they're deep, man. I mean, their lineup of Kawhi, Paul George, James Harden, Zubats, and Terrence Mann is the starters that they've had for most of the season. They have been awesome so far this season. They have the third best net rating in all of basketball among five-man lineups behind only Denver the defending champions who we know are one of the <laughs> best teams and have the best starting fives in the whole league. And then Boston who same thing. I mean, they're the clear cut East Eastern conference favorites right now. And their starting five has just been great together. They fit super well, but then not far behind uh, after those two is the Clippers five man starting lineup. They are at plus 16.7. They have 125 offensive rating, 108 defensive rating. So they've been elite on both ends of the court. And, I mean, after those guys, they got a lot of good players coming off their bench too. Norman Powell is a legitimate threat to win six-man of the year this year. He has shot the lights out of the ball, like I mentioned. Um, Daniel Tice has been pretty good since coming over. He's shot 44% from three as well on a – on an attempt per game. So he's been solid. Mason Plumley, um, back from injury. He hasn't even been able to get in the rotation because the, um, uh, Tice and Zubats have both been playing particularly well. And Zubats has been really good. Harden's been great for him. I mean, we know Harden is one of the best in the league at getting a, a lot out of, um, big men, particularly in the pick and roll, but Zubats is shooting 66% on the season, averaging 13 and 10, uh, block and a half. One of his best seasons, um, at this point. And then Russ, he's, he, he is what he is. He's been pretty good. 46% from the field is not bad for him at all. He's averaging 10, six and five. Um, obviously the minutes with Russ and Harden together have not been great thus far. Um, but they are good with Westbrook on the court and Harden off the court still. Um, the Clippers are still a plus 5.4 in the minutes with Russ on the court and Harden off the court. And Ty Lue's done a, a pretty good job of um, staggering this them to this point. So I can't believe I'm going there, given all of the injury history this team has had, given all of the flameouts that James Harden has had in the playoffs, given the just dysfunctional play of Russell Westbrook teams in the past. But I am all in on this team. I think... Like they are undoubtedly the 
at worst number two team in the Western Conference right now. I think they are. I think it's fair to still give Denver the benefit of the doubt, but to me, they are ahead of Oklahoma City. They are ahead of Minnesota. OKC is just too young. They are super good. SGA has been phenomenal, but there is no precedent for a team like this to make the finals. I mean, look at even the dynasties we've had in this league. The Warriors made the playoffs twice before they ended up making the finals. They'd only won one playoff series in those two rounds combined. They didn't have home court advantage in either of those first round series. Um, Even the old Thunder back in the day with uh, KD, Harden, Westbrook, not a dynasty obviously, but that was kind of the closest thing we've seen in terms of this super young team that's really good out of nowhere. But it wasn't super out of nowhere. They made the playoffs twice before they um, made a deep run in the postseason. And so it can be done where a team goes from out of the playoffs to the finals, but not without adding like a, a high impact guy. Like the Suns in their first season with Chris Paul made the finals after not making the playoffs. But Chris Paul was still a top 10, 15 player at that point in his career. He was super good. I mean, the guy made second team all NBA that season. They did not end, add anybody like that. They added Chet Holmgren, and that's basically it. But that, this guy's a rookie. He's played 30, 35 games in his career. Adding just a rookie like that is just not good enough to go from out of the playoffs, never even made the postseason with your core, to suddenly you're in the finals. So I still think they need to take their lumps in the playoffs. I think they will this year. They're a team that, like, if they played the Lakers, I might pick the Lakers, even with their struggles. I just think that they don't have the experience and – um, I would be surprised if they made the finals, despite how good I think they can be down the road. Minnesota, they've had their playoff lumps. They made the playoffs the last two years. Both seasons, they were um, not a home court advantage team. They were the seven seed two years ago and lost to Memphis. They were a eight seed last year and lost to the Nuggets, who went on to win the whole thing. But I have major concerns about their offense. It's just not been great recently. Conley has been so important to them, but he's getting up there in age. I don't know if you can rely on him to play big minutes for an entire season and a deep playoff run. Anthony Edwards is phenomenal, but is he a guy that can be a top five to 10 player? Cause that's kind of what you need to make the finals these days. Um, it's pretty rare to, to make it that far without having one of those guys. And he's close. He's not far off, but I just think the gap between a top 15 guy and a top seven guy is a lot bigger than people want to give it credit. Um, plus Carl Anthony Towns, he's had some weird playoff stuff to this point. I mean, he's just low basketball IQ makes boneheaded decisions, not the best defender. And that's not even to mention Gobert, who's been great this season, but he's guess what? He's been great in the regular season in the past and it has not translated to the playoffs. So they've got enough red flags for me to say, I'm not quite there yet. I don't think they have quite enough offensive firepower. And I do have some concerns about their defense translating to the playoffs, given the history of Gobert and just the rest of that team. But after that, everybody else is struggling or just clearly not at that level. So I've got the Clippers easily ahead of those two teams. And I think they have a truly legitimate shot to knock off Denver this season. I think Denver is still really good. I still think they should be the favorite. Um, but man, I'm really tempted to take this Clipper team. I am. They just check all the boxes. They are really good offensively. They're top 10 defensively, and they've been even better in both facets of the game since uh, early December when they move Russ to the bench. So they're good on both ends of the ball. They have a ton of in-season continuity at this point. 
the big three of Harden, Kawhi, and PG have already played over 530 minutes together, which I just did an article on the Sun struggles. And to make the finals, or especially to win the whole thing, you need a good amount of continuity between your top stars. Every single champion since uh, the last 20 seasons has had at least 900 minutes played together for their top three players, with the only exception being the Warriors one season. But obviously, I think that they've got plenty of continuity as is. So these three guys are on pace to easily hit that mark, which is a really good sign for them in terms of being able to make a deep run. They've got a ton of top-level talent. I mean, you could argue this is the best trio of players on any team in the whole league. Um, they've got arguably a top five to 10 guy in Kawhi. I know I had him on the fringe top 10 after last season, but honestly, all of that was strictly due to injuries and him having not been on the court enough, but he's been super durable this year and he's playing back to backs and he's been phenomenal having one of his best seasons of his career and easily his most efficient year from the field. Um, so I, you don't have to have a obvious, without a doubt, top five player for the whole season to make a deep run, but you need a guy that can get to that level. Like Jimmy Butler is arguably not even a top 10 guy in the league, but he can get to that level in the playoffs, and that's why the Heat have been able to be so good and make uh, their deep runs in the postseason, and Kawhi is the same thing. Look at Kawhi in the playoffs last year. They absolutely put a massive scare in Phoenix in the first round last year when they won game one on the road. And Kawhi was basically just as good in game two, and he was playing on a um, (laughs) major injury as well. And if he's healthy, they might win that series legitimately. Like, that is not... The Suns, (laughs) they were having trouble with uh, Russell Westbrook last year in the playoffs, and that was even without Paul George as well. So... Kawhi is that good to me. This dude has been, when healthy, legitimately a top 10 player in the league. Um, And then, like I said, they've got good depth uh, on the bench as well. Uh, Norman Powell, Terrence Mann, Daniel Tice, and Mason Plumlee are as good of a backup pair of bigs as probably any team has in the league. Even Kobe Brown has given them some decent minutes. Their rookie that they took in the first round this year. Amir Coffey has been totally passable as a rotation guy as well. Um, and PJ Tucker is not even able to see the floor. Bones Highland is barely seeing the floor. Like they've got guys buried on their bench that are solid rotation players. Bones Highland was a guy that was one of Denver's top guys off the bench before they traded him last year and played well for the Clippers down the, the stretch last year in a handful of games. And then PJ Tucker was a guy that was a starter on a top three seed last season that was one game away from making the conference finals. Not to mention this guy has just been on a winner basically everywhere he's went. And look, they might get rid of him. They might use him and Highland as uh, trade ammo to upgrade because they still have some things they can trade to upgrade. Um, but they just, like I said, they check every box. Um, they also are probably the best shooting team in the NBA and, Probably the most overlooked part of this team, in my opinion, is their coaching. I think Tyron Lue is as good as basically anybody in the league. I think he's legitimately close to the tier of guys like Eric Spolstra. Um, He's just been so solid, and his team's never underperform. When he was in Cleveland, they didn't lose a single time except for against the Warriors, 
with a absolutely stacked team that nobody was going to beat since he's come to the Clippers. They made the conference finals in his first year, and that was with Kawhi Leonard getting hurt midway through the series uh, versus the Jazz, and they took the Suns to six games in a really hard-fought series. That was after the Clippers had never been to the conference finals, and Doc Rivers had had basically the same roster and consistently struggled and not gotten them to that point. And then even last year, like I said, they the fact that they were even able to push Phoenix as much as they were without Kawhi or Paul George playing, like this guy just gets the most out of his team. And he is like so much credit to him for just managing those personalities because it's not easy coaching Harden, as we've seen, let alone Harden with Russell Westbrook, who that has also not been easy for a lot of coaches. And then you add in two other star players who are above those guys in the pecking order. And this is not an easy situation at all. So we know how good of adjustments uh, he can make in the playoffs as well. He's not afraid to switch things up, um, especially on the defensive end. So good coaching, great offensively, super good shooting team, good defensively, tons of in-season continuity, tons of top-level talent and star power. They've got depth. They've got a guy who can be the best player on the court in any given game, and they've even got some assets they could move to improve the roster around the edges. So I'm all in on the Clippers. I am officially sold on this team. Um, Obviously, Kawhi could get hurt tomorrow, and all that would be out the window. But given how they've been durable this season, it's really tough to just say that they won't continue to be. But I also think the West is a little bit open this year. There's a lot of young teams that are really good, like Minnesota and Oklahoma City, like I mentioned, but I don't know if I trust them. Then you've got a lot of teams kind of in the middle, like Sacramento, New Orleans, Dallas, like teams that just are good. They're going to make the playoffs, but not real threats to, to make a deep run, especially to the finals. And then all of the other presumed top teams, the Warriors, Suns, and Lakers, are struggling to even make the playoffs right now. So it's an open year, is all I'm saying. They got to beat Denver. That's the biggest test. Can they beat Denver? Remains to be seen. But I think they got as good a chance as anybody to knock Denver off, especially among teams in the Western uh, Conference. And so I am, uh, yeah. I think they got it all <laughs> as of right now, but we will see if they can keep up this pace and if those guys can continue to stay healthy. So moving over to the struggling teams, we've got three teams, the Phoenix Suns, the Golden State Warriors, and the Los Angeles Lakers, who have all been extremely, extremely disappointing to this point. And I'm going to start off with Phoenix. I just released an article Go check it out on my website um, that just highlights all of the struggles this team has had. I mean, and it's a long list. It's a 4,000-word article, if that tells you anything of how much they've struggled. But there's a number of reasons that have gone into this. Some of them make more sense than others. But one of the ones that's really confusing is they have blown so many leads this year. They have nine games this season where they were leading going into the fourth and blew that lead by the end of the fourth quarter. One of those games went to overtime, and they did end up winning. Um, But the other eight, they lost. They were up eight points versus the Lakers in October and lost by five. They were up 13 points on the Spurs on Halloween and lost that game. They were up seven points on the Lakers in November. They lost that 
game. They were up six points on the Thunder in mid-November after three quarters. They lost that game by 12. They got destroyed in the fourth. Against the Nets, they were up two heading into the fourth, lost that game. Against the Knicks, they were up two heading in the fourth, and they lost by 17. So they got absolutely destroyed again in the fourth. On Christmas Day, they were up by one on Dallas heading into the fourth. They lost by 14, so got just killed again in the fourth. And then this past Sunday, they were up by 11 on Memphis without John Morant, uh, and they lost by six in that game. So again, just a super lopsided fourth quarter. And in the fourth this season, they are last in points, last in plus minus, last in three-point percentage, last in threes made, last in field goals made, 29th in field goal percentage, uh, 29th in rebounding, 29th in assists, 27th in turnovers, 28th in steals. They are terrible at everything. They can't shoot. They don't get rebounds. They turn the ball over. They don't force turnovers. They're not scoring. Weirdly enough, the thing they've been the best at probably is just defense. And that's their biggest weakness probably on this team. But in the first three quarters heading into, um, I pulled this data before they played the Clippers um, earlier this week, which was not a good game for them. But before that game, they were plus 6.6 in terms of net rating in the first three quarters. That would be good for fourth in the league. They would be ahead of Denver and ahead of Minnesota, who's been the one one seed all year long, if they did that over the span of the full season. So they're... Up there looking like a legitimate contender in the in the first three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, and this number is even worse now because they were, again, terrible versus the Clippers this week. But going into that game, they were minus 14.6, which is obviously dead last. Their offensive rating falls to just above 103, which is awful, would be dead last in the NBA. And their defensive rating is 118, which is still 20th, so not horrible, but still worse than it is the rest of the quarters. So... They turn into just basically the worst team in the league. That net rating is worse than the Pistons. It's worse than the Spurs, worse than the Wizards, worse than all those teams. They completely fall off a cliff. And, you know, it's not even just the fourth quarters. They have 14 games this season in which they outscored the opponent for three of the four quarters and had one quarter where they were outscored by enough enough points to still lose the game despite outscoring them for three of the four quarters. That's just, they're not playing a consistent 48 minutes. They're not, I don't know if it's, they're not making adjustments. They lack focus at the end of the game. Are their guys getting tired? Probably a combination of all of that, but they just don't put consistent effort throughout the game. They take a quarter off and they're good for one long quarter every single game. Another thing is just that obviously they've had injuries. Beal is just ramping up um this season and they just these guys have uh, about a hundred minutes played together like that's just not enough to be able to put sort of any uh, continuity and uh, meaningful run together they're constantly having guys in and out of the lineup bookers missed a few games here and there durant's missed games here and there beal has missed games here and there um and then they also don't really have any sort of defensive identity they're not great at forcing turnovers. They're not great at protecting the rim. They're not elite at uh, guarding the three-point line. They don't necessarily force teams into taking long mid-range shots. They don't have even a a consistent guy who can guard the opposing team's best player every single night. I mean, Grayson Allen has almost been that guy for this team, and he's not a phenomenal uh, (laughs) defender at all. Um, They also are just 
taking difficult shots. Uh, we know Beal, Booker, and Durant are all guys that take a lot of mid-range shots. This year, they're all 92nd percentile or higher in terms of taking long mid-range shots. Um, Durant specifically is 100th percentile, so they take a ton of long mid-range shots, but they're not making them at the same clip as they have in the past. So last year, Durant shot 56% from the mid-range. He's only 46% this year. That's 95th percentile down to 63rd percentile. Booker last year, 51% from the mid-range. This year, 45%. That's 92nd percentile down to 60th percentile. And that doesn't sound like a ton, but it's massive. I mean, that that's basically the difference between being the best of the best and, and elite at doing that to just being basically average, slightly above average. And if you're only average or above average at that, then it's a bad shot. I mean, we know that most teams are basically only shooting layups or threes at this point, except for the teams that can get away with taking the mid-range because they've got guys that make them at such an elite clip. And normally Booker and Durant are those kinds of guys, but this year they just haven't been, and this team's also just not shooting as many threes as they should. Bradley Beal's averaging a career low in three-point attempts per game, and that includes when he came in as a rookie. Um, That was back in 2013. It's not like the NBA had really shifted over to taking a ton of threes at that point. And then Booker's averaging his lowest since 2017. And that's back when the team was winning like 20 games per season or something. So this was not even like peak Booker at this point. So he's basically taking way less threes than he has um, throughout his prime. And then Durant is taking the least amount of threes he's taken per game since 2013, back when he was 24 years old. So that's 11 years ago. Uh, So all three of these guys are just not taking the amount of threes they need to. And then lastly... And this might be the biggest issue. They just haven't figured out their rotation. They've got two guys in Grayson Allen and Eric Gordon who have shot the lights out of the ball. Grayson Allen's 47%. Eric Gordon's 41%. But neither of those guys are good defenders. They're both small. They can't guard like bigger forwards or wings. And they're just not very good on that end of the court. They both have well below average defensive ratings. And then they've got some guys who are pretty good on defense like Kade Bates-Diop and Jordan Goodwin and Chimezi Metu, Josh Kogi, But these guys all cannot shoot. All four of them are shooting below 30% from three. And this team becomes so easy to guard when you've got guys out there that are below 30% because you can just sag off them. And they're it's basically five on four at that point. They're just basically going to blitz Booker and Beal. They're going to double Durant when he gets the ball in the post because – There's no consequences to doing it because these guys just aren't going to knock down shots consistently. And then they've got other guys like Nasir Little, Yuta Watanabe. Both of them have shot around 32%. Not great from three, but then they're also not great defenders. They're kind of like okay at both, but can't do either. So the, the point of this is that they're making concessions every single time with their rotation. They're either going all in on offense and they'll look good, but they can't stop anybody. Or they're going to try to play their defensive guys, but then their offense takes a major hit and is significantly easier to guard. So it's like your pick your poison for the Vogel and deciding who he's going to throw out there on any given night. And they just don't have any two-way guys. They just don't have any two-way guys. The closest thing they have is Durant. But he obviously just, well, one, you can't get away with just having one two-way guy on your team, but two, he can't guard the opposing team's best player every single night, especially not if it's a guard uh, or a center. So this team, can they turn it around? Who knows? 
the fourth quarter thing is weird. I'm sure that will even out. There's no way they're going to be one of the worst fourth, fourth quarter teams in NBA history, given their personnel with Durant and Booker and Beal. I mean, that's kind of the opposite of what you expect for those guys who are elite shot makers and shot creators. Um, the rotation, that one seems a little less fixable unless they go out and trade for somebody, but they don't have many assets outside of Grayson Allen. But he's been so important to what they've been in terms of spacing the floor. It'd be really difficult for them to trade him at this point. Um, and then they just need to be healthy too. That's been an issue. The threesome of Beal, Booker, and Durant have been really good when they played so far this season. One of the um, best trios in the NBA. Um, they're starting a lineup with Allen and Nurkic. They've had a net rating of plus 12.3 in 70 minutes together. So they've been good. They just need to get reps, and they need to figure out who is going to fi- fill out the rotation, whether they're on the team currently or not. Something has to give, or these guys just need to play better. But look, can this team turn it around and be a contender? If you're asking championship, I'd say no. I think that they probably peak out as a Western Conference Finals team. I would pick Denver over them. I would pick the Clippers over them. Do I think that Minnesota could beat them? Yeah, I do. I I think that'd be an interesting series. Um, Same with the Thunder. And look, a second-round exit seems probable at this point because I don't think they're going to beat L.A. or Denver unless something drastic changes. So they're going to have to figure those things out. Moving over to Golden State and the Warriors they currently are 17 and 19. They're below the Utah Jazz. They're not even in the play-in picture right now. Um, they've been pretty bad on both ends. They've been fine offensively, 11th offensive rating, and the 22nd best defensive rating. So they've really not been good. They, I know Draymond's been out. He's coming back this week. They haven't been great with him. They haven't been great without him. Um, and Steve Kerr cannot figure out this lineup at all he doesn't know who to play they've got basically 10 11 guys that are like jockeying for minutes obviously Steph is still having a a great year but a little bit of a down year shooting Clay is going to get his minutes no matter what Draymond's going to get his minutes no matter what Trace Jackson Davis has been taking minutes from Looney Looney has not looked great this year only averaging five points and seven rebounds he looks a little bit like a step slow um, this year and then in terms of just filling out the the wing rotation, they have no idea what they're doing. Um, Chris Paul is injured, and he's going to be out for a while. But between Wiggins, Pajemski, Kaminga, Sharich, Moody, Gary Payton, when he eventually comes back, they've even been playing some Corey Joseph minutes, who is just a complete disaster at this point in his career, <laughs> shooting 26% from the field. Um, but probably the biggest issue they've had is the Kaminga Wiggins thing. I mean, Kaminga came out and basically said that he's not been happy with his role and then Kerr hasn't been able to maximize him as much as he thinks he can be maximized. And look, Wiggins has been awful this year. I said this on a previous pod, but he has been one of the worst players in the entire league. He's sub 30 from three point range this season. He's got more turnovers than assists on the year. He's not even able to make free throws anymore. He was dominant on the boards in their finals run. He's only averaging four rebounds a game. He's down to under 12 points a game. This is a guy who's been close to around 20 points per game for his entire career. He has completely lost all of the like spark on the defensive end. He was one of their best defense, defensive players on their championship run over the past few years. He's just been t- terrible on that end too. And then 
Kaminga has been better than him because most players have considering how bad he's played, but he still has been just okay. He's only 27% from uh, three point range. We know that he's a little bit of a ball stopper. Despite what you might think about him reputationally, he's really not that great of a defensive player either. If you look at the metrics, but the biggest issue here is that these two guys play terrible together. They are a minus 17 net rating when they're, when they share the court, they're, like terrible offensively only 107 uh offensive rating they turn the ball over like crazy they're allowing 124 points per uh 100 possessions on defense so they can't play together which means they probably just need to make a choice um (laughs) about who they're going to um play moving forward because wiggins just has not earned minutes in this rotation Moody has been pushed out of the rotation a little bit recently because he hasn't shot the ball particularly well this season. And then Pajemski has played great. If you follow me on Twitter or have been listening to my podcast in the past, you know that I'm a huge, huge pods guy. Um, He's my favorite player coming out of the draft. So I really like what he does. I think he should get more minutes. I think he should start over Clay. if we're being totally honest. I know they won't do that. Um, But Clay's pretty washed at this point. He's got his three-point percentage up to at least a respectable number at 38%. Um, but Pajemski is 42%. Um, and these discussions are kind of the problem. Kerr just can't figure out who to play. It's like he's balancing this, do I play the best player that who's playing the best, or do I respect the reputation of the veterans on the team? Like, I think Pajemski is better than Clay Thompson right now, but he's not going to play him over him consistently. I'm not even a big Kaminga fan, but he is better than Wiggins right now. And he's played him over a little bit. But even the game Kaminga started recently, he didn't start the second half. So he's still not fully committed to (laughs) playing Kaminga. And then even though Trace Jackson Davis has played better than Looney this year, he's only started three games compared to Looney's 30 starts. Um it's it's just all over the place, and there's just no clear pecking order on this team because the older players aren't playing well. The younger players can't get consistent minutes. They've also been inconsistent, and the Warriors, to me, unless they make a big deal, they're totally done. This is not – it's not happening this year. It's not happening at all for a number of reasons, uh, most notably because they have the worst second-best player, like – uh, maybe of any somewhat competitive team in the West. Just go down the line. And I specifically, if we're talking offensive options, so who even is their second best player? I don't know. If any Warriors fans are out there saying it's Clay Thompson, I just want you to know that that's not a good thing. Clay Thompson is not very good anymore. He's inefficient, he takes ill advised shots. He's as streaky as it comes. And when he's off his game, he is just a detriment on both ends of the court. So it was Wiggins when they won the championship in 2022, but he is a shell of himself right now. If you want to say Draymond's their second best player, fine. But offensively, he is obviously not a guy that you (laughs) want as your second option, at least. So it, it doesn't even matter who you pick because... Let's go down the standings. You're taking Carl Anthony Towns over anybody else. OKC, Jalen Williams, you are obviously taken as a second offensive scoring option over anyone on the Warriors. Jamal Murray, same thing. Paul George and James Harden, maybe even Norman Powell at times for the Clippers. 
Uh, Sabonis or Fox, I don't know who you want to call the one, who you want to call the two. Regardless, you're taking them over Golden State, second best player. The Pelicans, same thing with Zion and Ingram. Both of them are ahead of whoever the number two on Golden State is. Kyrie, same thing. Houston, I mean, Shane Goon's probably the number one option, but I they still Fred Van Vliet is probably better than anybody outside of Steph on the Warriors still, even at this point as well. Phoenix, I mean, you're taking Durant, Booker, Beal, all three. Uh, the Lakers, AD, LeBron, again, whichever you want to pick, still better. Uh, then it gets interesting. <laughs> Memphis, I I know with Ja out, you might argue, oh, well, now Bain's the number one, but I'm still taking Jaron Jackson Jr. as my number two over anybody on the Warriors. Um Utah's when it starts to get interesting. I mean, probably that's a similar tier after marketing. But that's the point. That is 11 teams, uh, 10 of which who are ahead of Golden State in the standings right now, who you'd rather have their second scoring option than Golden State. You cannot have this, the 11th best second option in your conference and expect to contend at any sort of level. Not to mention that Steph is having a down shooting year, most notably because... Um, probably just because Draymond has not been playing consistently and we know what kind of impact he can have on opening up Steph's offensive game. So, yeah, I think they got to make a move. I think Siaka makes a lot of sense. If I'm them, I'm trading picks. And, it, and you know, uh, people probably want to say Wiggins. Wiggins is not getting you anything right now. He's He's got a huge deal. He's not – is multiple years left on it. He's overpaid. He's – 28 but seems to have already declined he's a worse version of what he was even in minnesota back when he was still an inefficient not really a winning guy back then so good luck trading him for anything of value but i think the chris paul expiring contract is enticing to teams i think kaminga is enticing to teams i think moody is enticing i think pajemski's enticing i think they should hold on to pajemski i think moody and kaminga and pick should absolutely be on the table for an upgrade i think siakam this guy's been an all-NBA player multiple times over the past three, four years. He's still really good. He's not having a great year this year. But I think he'd be a great fit. He gives them another scoring option. He gives them a um, a player to play a two-man game with, with Steph, which they just haven't had with Draymond out. But even if they play with Draymond, Draymond's not nearly the scoring threat that Siakam is. Um, and he can even play some small ball five, which we know Steve Kerr likes to do. So he might not help them a ton defensively, though Siakam still is a pretty solid defensive player, always has been throughout his career. But offensively, I think he is a really, really nice fit for what they have. Um, I don't love the Levine fit. He's just like a better Clay Thompson, but him and Thompson on the same team, plus a guy like Pajemski or Moody, like it's just too many like redundant players um, in terms of just two guards that are looking to put shots up. So I think Siakam is the move. I think they should pull the trigger because Steph Curry is 35 years old. You have to maximize what you have left of him. Um, and if you got to trade Draymond, if you got to trade clay, I say, do it. I don't think they will, but they've got the pieces otherwise to make a move happen. Um, and if they get Siakam, then I think that they will make <laughs> definitely make the plan at that point. I still think they would make the playoffs and I think they'd at least be interesting. Because right now, they are not interesting. The only interesting thing about them is how dysfunctional they've been on both ends of the court and how Kerr just seems to have no idea who to put out there on any given night. So that's the fix for me. If they don't make something like that happen, I don't see anything 
bright in the future for this team. Next, we move to the Lakers, who are 19 and 19. They are also outside of the playoff picture right now, 10th seed in the Western Conference. And since the in-season tournament, it's been really bad. Uh, <laughs> they've gone 5 and 10 in that span uh, since getting to 14 and 9 at the end of the in-season tournament, and they fooled me even a little bit. I was not high on the Lakers coming into this year. I thought they would not have a top-four seed, largely due to just the injury potential for LeBron and AD. Um, strangely enough, those guys have been super healthy. AD's only missed two games all year. LeBron has only missed three games all year. So this is the most durable they've been since their 2020 championship run. Um, but I wasn't high on them. I thought their uh, offseason was overrated. I thought they got a lot of role players that are either one-way players or cast-offs that just haven't been very good when they've played. Um, and that's kind of what we've seen play out to this point. Um, they made a lot of lateral moves, not a lot of improvements. Like going from Schroeder to Gabe Vincent. I know Vincent's been hurt, but Schroeder was really good for them last year. I don't think that's a clear upgrade at all. Losing uh, Troy Brown Jr. for Toreen Prince, probably a little bit of an upgrade, especially offensively. But Prince is averaging single-digit points per game. He's 42.8% from the field, pretty on par with where he's been for his career, and he's not a great defender either. Bringing in Jackson Hayes instead of Mo Bamba, that's basically an even trade to me. Both of them are young, have potential, but neither of them have been good. Neither of them have been able to get rotation minutes anywhere they've played to this point in their career. Um, they brought in Christian Wood. Decent, solid. Everywhere he goes, the team gets all excited, but then he's not on the team somehow next year. Wonder if that's a coincidence or not. And then a guy like Cam Reddish, who has been terrible everywhere he's been. He's been on, what, four teams in the span of... Uh, he's not even 25 years old at this point. He's shooting under 40% on the season this year. He's not been good from three-point range, just like he hasn't been throughout his career. He did have a nice little stint there where he played well defensively. Uh, but he's fallen back to earth, back to where he's been throughout most of his career. Um, these guys just haven't played well. Christian Wood is only seven points a game, playing less than 20 minutes a game. Um, Tareen Prince, like I said, hasn't been super efficient. Gabe Vincent hasn't been able to stay in the court. Uh, Rui Hachimura has actually been pretty good, but he's been a little bit injured this year. And then Jared Vanderbilt has been just disgusting offensively. He's averaging two and a half points per game. He's shooting under 7% from three-point range. So just a complete zero offensively. He's very good defensively still, but it is really difficult to play a guy who is such a liability as a shooter and offensive player, especially in a playoff series. I mean, we just saw him get played out of a playoff series. I don't know why we would think it would be any different this year. Jalen Hood, Shafino wasn't a huge fan coming out of the draft of his. He's shooting 21% in the season, so he's just not a factor. Max Christie, he's shown some flashes, but he's probably a year away he's still only 20 years old shooting 31 percent from three uh, i think maybe they'd be well served giving him a little bit more minutes but he hasn't played consistently enough to make a full judgment on him and then d'angelo russell i mean his stats aren't that bad 46 percent, 38 percent from three but i am just i'm not a russell guy i never have been i absolutely never will be i do not think that he can be a key cog on a good winning team I think he's at best a sixth man, which is why I will applaud Darvin Ham for finally moving him to the bench. I have no idea why he was starting him over Reeves. <laughs> they clearly don't play super well together, but Reeves does play well with LeBron. Russell, not as much. But 
they probably will deal him, and I think they should deal him. And that's maybe the one reason why I think the Lakers have probably more hope than the other two teams because there's a proof of concept there. We've seen LeBron and AD make the win a championship. We've seen them make the Western Conference Finals just last year when they got decent play out of their role players. Austin Reeves is a plenty good enough third banana uh, for this team as long as they've got good role players around them. And they've got the the moves to make it happen. They can trade uh, Hachimura and D'Angelo Russell's expiring contract uh, along with their unprotected 2029 pick. And if they do that, I think that they could get a pretty significant upgrade. Um, I think probably Levine makes the most sense. I know that his name's been tossed around a lot for a lot of teams, and he's pretty much killed his value because he got hurt and then... They've played better without him. Kobe White looks significantly better without him. The team has won more games. There's been whispers of his questionable attitude in the locker room, whatever. Um, and he's got a huge, massive contract. So it's a risk. Don't get me wrong. But I think he is probably the the best thing that they can get for what they need. They need shooting. They need someone who can create a shot, who can score off the dribble, who can do a little bit of playmaking. And he can do all those things, at, at especially shooting at a really high level, both off the catch and shoot and off the dribble, which they don't have another guy like that right now outside of, like, basically LeBron, Reeves, and Russell. But Russell is, like I said, is just, he's not the answer there. Um, I think they've got enough defense on the rest of the roster to make up for Levine's shortcomings on uh, that side of the court because he certainly does have some. Um, and if they get Levine, then I could be convinced um, but I, I did fall for this team a little bit after the in-season tournament. I quickly turned around and said maybe they are contenders, blah, 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 which was a mistake. I should have been held to my gut and <laughs> trusted what I thought in the offseason. But I think if they get Levine, they can be up there with the Clippers and maybe not the Nuggets quite yet, but I... They get Levine, I'm picking them over OKC, I'm picking them over Minnesota, I'm picking them over Phoenix, picking them over Dallas, Sacramento, uh, all of those teams. I think they still will struggle with Denver. We know that they've had a lot of trouble with Denver because they just do not have the offensive firepower to compete with them. They can't stop Jokic even with Anthony Davis. Um, So we'll see, but it's concerning that they're where they are given how healthy they've been. Um, If... Davis or LeBron has one of their what seems like an annual stretch of missing 15-plus games or something, then this could get even uglier, which is why I think they absolutely need to make a deal. With LeBron and Levine or Davis and Levine, I think that they could hold a float at least to like stay in the play-in conversation and then still make the playoffs after that, but... Um, it, that's absolutely a risk uh, for them moving forward. And in terms of other options besides Levine, I mean, DeRozan is probably better than Levine at this point, and they're on the same team, obviously. But I don't love that fit because DeRozan just gives them another guy who can't shoot threes, um, even though he would help them a ton in terms of shot creation and things like that, and he's a better defender than Levine. Um, but, yeah, they also could go for 
consolidation of more role players instead, something like an Alex Crusoe. So it sounds like a, the Bulls are a good match for them in terms of making a trade. Um, but obviously Crusoe would be great for them, but I don't know if it really solves all their issues because they're still pretty solid defensively. It's really just the offensive piece that they need to improve. But uh, if they make that move, I think that they're healthily in the at least semi-contender category. But right now, they have zero chance to beat Denver, and I think they would really struggle to beat the Clippers as well. So um, pretender as of now, but they, they could make a move to get there, uh, in my opinion. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Sean Jones NBA show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you haven't checked out my article that I released earlier this week on the Phoenix Suns, I talked a lot about some of those things in there on this podcast today, but it's a lot more of an in-depth analysis, a lot of stats reference in there that kind of paint a better picture for what their struggles have been this season. Um, and we've got the trade deadline sneaking up around the corner. I mean, it's less than a month away, about a month away, something like that. Uh, so I think we're really going to start to see some trades over the next couple of weeks. We've, there's been a lot of rumors already, so you know that I will definitely have some content up um, just discussing those rumors and then especially afterwards once all the trades do go down and we can talk about that look on the rest of the season but uh with that being said uh thank you so much for listening and i will talk to you soon